Hey, this is Josh. Thanks for tuning into the show, Healers on Healing. I wanted to make this show because we can get caught in the trappings of life. Responsibilities, bills to pay, kids to feed, just all these things that take our attention. And to me, healing and being our healthiest self gets neglected. I thought it'd be interesting to ask my colleagues and other professionals what the heck this thing, health and healing, is. I hope these conversations inspire you, demystify the process, maybe reinforce what you already know, and give you new ideas on how to be the healthiest you. Today's episode, my guest Mike Levy talks about schools and their roles in health and wellness. Mike is the head of a school based in San Francisco. Tune in as Mike and I talk about teaching wholeness, the educational system, and supporting parents of healthy kids. Hi, I'm Mike Levy. I'm the head of the middle school at Presidio Knowles School, which is a progressive Mandarin immersion school, preschool through eighth grade in downtown San Francisco. Do we use the term principal anymore? or? Well, that's, that's like the joke where the first time I saw my name written next to my classroom, it said Mr. Levy. And I said, my dad works here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the kids here call me Mike Xiaojiang, which is Chinese, so okay. I don't know what I am in English. Okay. <laughs> but head. We'll head, go with head. Yeah. I think you fit the title of healer. I don't think you maybe walk around thinking of yourself using that term, but to me, you're creating health and wellness. So to me, that's what healers do. First question is, do you think in those terms? No, w- w- 100%, and I think that it's actually a healer in two ways. You know, we're, we use the term progressive here, and there's a lot of question about what does that mean, and what is it, and what isn't it. But to me, whatever label you want to put on it, it's putting wholeness and health first. And when kids are really young, preschool, everyone gets it. They're like, yeah, of course. And then they get older, and somehow it's like, oh, no, 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 no. Now there's math. So it doesn't matter if they're miserable. We stop teaching the skills you need to be emotionally whole and healthy. A school like this, and I think many schools out there, don't let that happen. We have full days and we need to worry about math and science and social studies. But you always have to start with wholeness and with health. But there's another piece. Parents! The kids are my primary concern. But I worry a lot about adults. Being a parent is super hard. It's the hardest job in the world. You know, we know how busy we all are in the Bay Area. Like, we got to pay the rent. You can feel alone. And schools, I think, should be communities for adults as well as children, right? So we can be healthy and happy and whole and then be parenting in ways where we're not driving our kids crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's beautiful. I mean, that's really beautiful and really touching to hear that being of mine. And I want to ask more into that. 
like when we're talking about wholeness, we're talking about healthiness for kids or for parents. Yeah. What do you think we're talking about? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, it's actually maybe the same, right? The lessons that work for a three-year-old should work for an 83-year-old. With the kids, it starts with this. Let's apply it to adults too. Kids want to do well. Kids do not want to disobey. They don't want to be in trouble. No one wants to be in trouble. Kids want our love, especially when they're young. They want us to be close. They want to be connected. So what we begin with in our training with our faculty is you have to start with that. They want to do well. So if somebody isn't doing well, we look at it as a skill deficit, not as like there's something wrong with them or they want to make me mad. I mean, sometimes I feel that as a teacher and I'm like, oh, I really want to wring that kid's neck. I feel it. And then I got to move past it. They want to do well. So if a kid isn't doing well, if a kid is jumping out of their chair and running around or like my son, when he was biting, when he was one, biting his sister, or they're not doing their homework or whatever the thing is that we see as disobedience, we want to look at it as, as a skill deficit and then say, I can help you. It, this is hard. And let's work on the skill. If you look at it as a skill question, not like an emotional problem question, it's like the whole relationship around these things changes. And the kids, what I notice is the kids are like, oh my God, an ally. I don't want to be messing up all the time. Help. It probably is true for adults too. I mean, it definitely is. But, you know, adults are more resistant to coaching than <laughs> children, unfortunately. I want to go to that statement of, like, everything changes. I think you started to answer it. They start seeing allies. You know, it's a podcast, so you can't see our body language, but it is a body change. A, a kid's shoulders will relax. And for parents listening, you know, we know when our kids misbehave and we get pissed off, we might do things. I do this myself. We say, why did you do that? You ask a six-year-old, why did you, like, they, they didn't, there's no why. It's like asking a dog, why did you, why did you chew the carpet? Because I, I'm a dog, right? So, like, there's so much behavior that is just growing up. It's just being your age. It's just not having a part of your brain developed where you can, you know, not eat the marshmallow, the marshmallow test kind of a thing. As parents, we get in the moment, we can't resist it. But I think parents also recognize, oh, if I come back at this when I'm not mad and when my kid's not wound up, I'll have a more productive conversation. That's a similar thing. A kid does something wrong in quotes. And the immediate response is one of connection. I see you're really struggling right now. You look really tense. Tell, tell me how you're feeling. Instead of stop doing that which is really like, that's aggressive. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now, at times, a kid's going to like run into the street. Don't do I grab them, of course. But basic stuff, like most of the behavior that drives us crazy as adults, getting like eye level. I'm not looming over this person. I'm down often if the kid is the kind of kid who accept touching, like holding their hand or and just like looking them in the eye and saying, you look like you're really upset. Can I help? And their body can calm down and they'll say, yeah, I am really upset. And then you can have a conversation. If the first response is stop, don't do it, what's wrong with you, why, then you're obviously going to have to go back to the conversation later. I'm going to change the language a little bit. It's really going first to connection and joining. You know, even maybe even giving language, you look upset. That I think is the beginning of the skill learning. Oh, right. When I'm in this state, I'm upset. Dude, totally. <laughs> it is, we, Josh, you and I, growing up in Evanston, 
I don't remember in school being taught to name my emotion. I certainly don't remember any teacher being like, tell me what your body is doing right now. I'm going to attach the really sophisticated, subtle word to that so you can name it for me next time and we'll communicate. No, my God, that never happened. Like, so that's terrible. That's why we grow up and we're so damaged. <laughs> but kids can learn. I mean, if you go through, I think, a really caring school system, you are emotionally intelligent. A lot of the kids at this school can, with real precision, when they're a little older, name what they're feeling and say things like, oh my God, I feel all this tension in my chest. Can I take a walk? I want to get rid of this tension. Yes, you can. <laughs> right? They leave the room, they take a walk, come back. I learned that when I was like 38. <laughs> right? In therapy. So a lot of it is work you're doing with adults who have to unlearn a whole lot. For me, they don't have to unlearn much because they're, they're still kids. It's so beautiful hearing a school doing this. And my mind goes to maybe doing the same thing for schools that you are doing for children, which is, oh, you all want to be good, but something stops you yeah. from being good. Yeah. And I'm curious, like, what are the pressures that yeah. just lead schools astray from... When I see teachers who forget this stuff, it's for the right reasons. I'll put, like, the right reasons in quotes. They want the kids to be focused on content, like academic content. Or they are paying attention to a big class full of people and don't have time to intervene in every moment. And they have to make a choice where it's basically like, in essence, it doesn't matter what you feel. Be quiet. You're teaching a, there's 23 kids in the room. So there's all these choices that individual teachers make in response to the you know, the job, the pressures of the job, get the kids to, you know, move through this content or, you know, get the class to move in this direction. And obviously in some school systems that is like standardized, like, you know, there's a movement in schools, unfortunately, towards that end of things. I think it's not good, but the pressure to do like traditional schooling is not hard to understand. It's like, okay, yeah, let's learn. We got to learn math. We got to learn science. I think the cost is too high, and I actually also think that if you take the time to do the emotional stuff first, have social-emotional intelligence, resilience, wholeness, presence, mindfulness, you, you spend eight months on that and only one month on math, I really think you're going to learn more math. <laughs> mm -hmm. I wonder how, you know, when you're dealing with adults and, like, you're observing somebody and you can see they're, like, angry, you say to them, boy, you really look angry. How often, in your experience, an adult says, no, I'm not. Or how often they say, oh, let me check myself. Yeah, I'm angry. Interesting. I didn't notice. <laughs> totally. Well, I'm, I'm going to sidetrack and answer your question. <laughs> you know, I have found more power in being like, if I was in your shoes, I would be angry. Oh, that's good. And it's just it's nice more yeah. the invitation and I do think your anger is probably very logical. Yeah. Like there is a very real yeah. reason you're feeling what you're feeling. And I hear you, you know, to circle it back to you, I hear, right, when we approach kids, when we approach anyone with the notion of like, there's a very good reason you're feeling what you're feeling. Yeah. Not to just tell you to stop feeling it, stop acting from that place, but like just... Get in there with you. Get yeah. in there with you and then maybe teach you how we can use this towards health yeah. versus 
that is such a fundamental shift. Yeah. Because the kid does have a right to be angry. The kid does have a right to be like, I, I can't sit for... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you totally. know, or this yeah. is hard. Yeah. Learning's hard, and I don't know what to do with the doubts and the shame oh and the... And this is where it all starts, because so much of misbehavior in kids... I mean, some of it is it's just body. My body right now needs to move, and I'm being told not to move. And that's just torture. And then a huge other piece of it comes from fear. I'm scared, but I can't tell you I'm scared. This assignment is hard, I'm scared. This social interaction, I'm scared. Life is scary, growing up is scary. When you're in middle school and you suddenly have like hair in places you didn't know, like that's terrifying, everything is so scary. Do we let them say just, I'm scared? No, we don't train people to recognize that emotion. And so then you get all these weird behaviors that it's like actually scared, but the other things coming out, whether it's aggression, avoidance, pa passive aggressive behavior, the source is, is being afraid. How have you guys survived in, because it does feel like the dominant narrative is more what we're calling traditional schooling of like, listen, we're here to teach you X, Y, Z. Yeah. We're going to test X, Y, Z. The school gets to claim you learned yeah. X, Y, Z. So you seem to me to be more of a minority. How do schools like you exist? Do you feel like you're, you're winning the fight in education? Do you feel like you're being pushed in a corner? Yeah, what's, what's your guys' experience? Uh, there are progressive schools with this philosophy that are both public, private, charter, religious, like runs the gamut. You can find schools that I think start with health and wholeness. But it is the minority. It's just parents, we want to pay attention to it. We know it matters. But then we get overwhelmed by this feeling of, but my kids are competing. Well, isn't this a competitive economy? Isn't it a competitive world? Don't they have to like tooth and claw and fight with other people to get a job? And what I very often see is parents who are like, God, I want to believe it. God, I want to believe it works. Please, I hope. Convince me again, Mike. Remind me, because I wake up and I just want you to show me their test scores. And then we'll talk about it again. And they'll be like, yeah, yeah, okay, you're right, you're right. I, I actually care about my child's heart and soul. Okay, good. Let's keep going for another month, and then I'll come back to your office. Totally makes sense why parents would look at, well, where do the kids in that school go to college? Or what are the average test scores? Or blah, blah, blah. All these metrics for success that make so much of what we really need to pay attention to invisible. And uh, no, we're not winning the big conversation. Schools are viewed as part of like this economic machine and the economy is not what makes us healthy and whole. It's what pays the bills. Shouldn't be the center of everything. Oh, by the way, I'll come back to one another thing in this. We are scared as parents. Like that's the primary in some ways parenting emotion. Oh my God, is my kid gonna be okay? I'm so scared for their future. What can I do? can't we teach them to be healthy and whole and then just like let it roll? Yeah, we can. We can. I, as a parent, think that's enough. Now, my wife is like, no, it ain't. <laughs> She's like, no, 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 no. The kids, they got to learn their stuff and they got to go to the, I don't want them living like on a beach, just like chilling out. And I don't either. But, you know, it's the perennial parental debate. This conversation is really awesome because 
where do we think safety exists? Yeah. Which skill set do I give you to make sure you're going to be safe, that yeah, you're going to be okay? Yeah. You yeah. know, and it's so much easier the skill sets that I can measure. Yep. It's really hard to measure emotional intelligence. Yeah. I mean, we see it, yeah. you know, and I think we're more and more getting a sense of perhaps even how to measure it, but it's still not, oh, I just give you this test and I know you're really good at digesting your emotions. Yeah. Not only is it the harder stuff to measure, it's also the harder stuff to teach. So like most parents who I know, they're like, oh, I could teach you long division all day long. And I know when you're wrong. I know the formula. But if you ask a typical parent who's working their butt off and is stressed out at their job and is parenting, all this stuff, and then you're like, and then at night, teach your child uh, name their emotions. And the parent's like, I don't know my emotions. So it's both, you know, the less important stuff is easier to measure. So we forget the important stuff. And the, I'll put it in quotes, the less important stuff, it's less scary to teach. Totally. Yeah, I sit with Tobias at home and we right now, I mean, he's in first grade. In about 10 minutes, we do his homework. Yeah. That is just him practicing writing, reading words. Simple. The times I sit and try to really help him learn his emotions is like an hour, two hour. Yeah. <laughs> sitting yeah. with him, letting him cry, yeah. letting totally. him go through the full game. I mean... And still not totally at the end of it, knowing, did I really help you <laughs> learn right. how to ride your emotions of fear, you know, and, or, or, your, or your sadness? And you know? that's where the, the community part comes in, because it, it, since we weren't taught this stuff when we were kids, we don't have the confidence to, to help guide our kids through it. But, you know, the good news is that there are some really pretty straightforward ways, like a classic one with little kids, Tobias's age or my kid's age is is reading to them. And then, you know, you read a kid's book, uh, Thomas the Train, and you just say, how do you think Thomas feels right now? That's it. And then a five-year-old can say, I think Thomas is sad. Why? There you go. That's a really good learning experience, right? And those things, every parent is like, oh, I can do that? That's all, really? I'm doing my job? Yeah, you're doing your job. Sit with them in like read with them and ask them to talk about the characters. What would you do? That's rich. That should never end, right? So when the kids are older, we can keep reading to them all the way through storytelling. Sitting around and you know, when then we're in we're in high school, you know, we sit around the table and maybe it's like the newspaper. Did you read this today? What do you think? There are ways that we can as parents learn and be confident about giving kids this coaching. So you said parents come in here and they're like, remind me, Mike, yeah. remind me. So what's the pitch? Mike, I'm freaking out. <laughs> yeah. I want to put my kid in a fast track to Harvard. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right. So, okay. yeah. I mean, if it literally is, give me that track to that school, that one school. I mean, I just say they're not going to go there. They're not going to go there. You're talking about a one in a million person and your kid is one in a million in their ways, you're telling them to be one in a million in that one way. That is a train wreck waiting to happen. You cannot have that in your head as a parent. You're going to be miserable. You're going to make them miserable. And even if you luck out, and by the way, most of us don't, my kids are perfect. I love them. They're brilliant. They're amazing. Maybe they'll go somewhere, some like super competitive college, but then yours won't. So you're going to make the whole community crazy. So that's the first thing. Then... If you really want to go further than that, let's look at the cost your kids will pay 
if you still say, look, that path I want to maintain, I want to go on. Okay, let's look at, as they get older, the rates of depression, the rates of anxiety, the eating disorders, the suicide, the cutting, sexual violence. Where is this coming from? It doesn't come because that's human nature. It comes because we are putting them in that system and jamming them into it. And then there still might be some people who will be like, well, I know it's a long shot and I know that there's all these consequences, but what else is there? And the what else is there is life. <laughs> the what else is there is your kid is going to be connected to you and love you. And your kid is going to find partnership with someone and they'll understand how to treat that person with respect. And they will understand that they deserve to be treated with respect. And all of that we can take care of. We can. Like that's the part we know. This other part, the sprint, okay, look, some kids like it. We'll know as a school and we'll push them. But don't do that to yourself. Don't do that to your family. And most people are like, okay. But they're still going to go to Harvard, right? Totally. <laughs> <laughs> Round back to something that you mentioned earlier and I was curious about it and I don't want to lose track of it. And it's what are we doing for the parents? What are we doing for the adults? What's the health and wholeness there? I mean, we live in the Bay Area, so maybe this is particularly true for us, but it's, I think it's just part of life in general. People work a lot of hours. In many families, it's two working parents. And so you get a little bit of time at home, and then you go to work, and then you come home and you're pretty tired. In generations past, there was, there was and this is, you know, data-driven, there was more engagement with outside things that aren't working aren't home whether it was a religious institution or, you know, a civic club, something like that. And I think people need that kind of engagement. So where can it come from? Uh, one great place is from schools. I try to provide that for our parents here. I encourage parents to do that on their own. Form a book club. Uh, pick up, you know, we see books all the time about parenting. Just pick a random one. Send an email out. Hey, I'm going to read this book. Anybody want to grab a, a bottle of wine and we'll, we'll share this as parents? Or a camping trip. Send an email out. Be like, hey, parents in the class. Anybody, let's go camping. We don't know each other well enough. Let's be a community. And then, you know, from my side as an administrator at the school, I try to bring in resources, speakers, film nights, Anything to get people together, be in solidarity, again, like not feel alone, and just like it is okay to admit it's hard to parent, and it's okay to say I don't know what to do, and it's okay to try something, and it doesn't work, laugh about it. Be like, I tried that thing, man, it backfired. I hope it can lower anxiety. I hope that we don't parent with fear. This is the most wonderful hardest job we have and we don't get to get trained there's the baby <laughs> now like read an article in the new yorker or something what no i don't know what to do uh so we got to do it through conversation that never ends interesting enough i think in some ways my job as a therapist is okay the school didn't backfill it yeah, yeah you know like i'm i'm doing that here so i love to this notion like yeah you guys can't do everything but I think it's so beautiful that for the adult side of this equation, let's just get you community. Let's get you not feeling alone. Let's get you admitting how hard this is. Yep. Let's try to get you just out of fear-based. Yeah, it's not a deficit. 
right? So doing social emotional work with kids, doing therapy as an adult, I mean, there might be a deficit, but it doesn't have to be a deficit. It can just be a strengthening. And I think that that is a big change. I don't know how it appears from, from your end of things. In schools, a big change that kids are going to see the school counselor. Go, we call it the wellness team. There is no stigma. Why? Everyone goes. In fact, it's often because you're strong and you want to get better. Gosh, that's been, I mean, as big a change as there is in schooling. Did we have a counselor? It's probably some weird dude in the corner, right? Like I have those <laughs> images of like freaks and geek. Oh, totally. Remember the yeah, hippie the guy? guy <laughs> yeah, like, Where are you going? <laughs> you going? Yeah. yeah, you know, and he just wants to be your buddy. Yeah, like, oh, that's so kind of the yeah. image I have. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't. I don't think I saw anyone. I just figured it out on my own, which slash didn't figure slash it out. Didn't figure it out. <laughs> but yeah, that's cool. Do you feel like that's open? Even you know, we were talking about sort of this struggle in education about making wholeness but do you feel like at least the system has really started to engage like wellness and like so much better i'm so i'm so glad i didn't raise my kids when we got raised a big piece of it maybe again is this a bay area thing maybe a little bit but i I do think it's broader than this this connection of you know personal wholeness and health and like understanding our story to like bigger community needs so like whether it's me too or whether it's black lives matter just all these ways that we are now talking about trauma and we're not just going to ignore it obviously that is super meaningful for the communities that have been traumatized but it's also i think a gift to i'm I'm a straight white man the traditionally dominant oppressors if we can get into that dialogue, we don't have to carry that super toxic masculinity or whiteness. You know, we need to be using these lenses in appropriate ways, but like the gift to a kid, whether they're gay or straight, black or white, you know, tall or short, whatever, to just be like, you have a story, your voice matters, and it is through learning about wellness that you can really use your voice powerfully it's like it's a gift to everyone actually we had someone come in to talk about sexuality particularly for parents of middle school kids one of the things that she said her name is karis dennison she's like a really progressive social activist and sexual educator and she said that for parents raising especially white boys we have to remember that they will get like a scholarship to dick school And they don't ask for it. Just like a limo pulls up and says, you can come right into dick school. No questions asked. You're in. Automatic admission. And it's it's like we don't control the culture. The culture controls them. So we have to to be forgiving of them if they take a little ride, right? We can't condemn them and tell them you're a horrible human. But we can give them the language to be like, ooh, you know what? I, I... I accidentally went to dick, I went to dick school for a day, but now I'm out. Now I'm not. I don't. It's, I don't like it in there. Um, and I thought that was a really thoughtful way to, <laughs> and funny, but way to think about if you know kids who we are raising into these positions of of relative power based on gender, race, sexuality, and how to do that responsibly. Right. I I love this notion of like meeting people where they are, meeting the kid where they are, even meeting the power dynamics where they are, and then teaching something 
from there, not just the quick, you're bad, you're shit, you're, yeah. <laughs> this is you, this is, you know, but, but helping them learn what the emotion is, learn what their needs are, learn to maybe now more proactively, hey, I need to go for a walk because my body's feeling a lot of tension versus just standing up and disrupting yeah. the class, right? And even in the, oh, yeah, dick school, like, you understand, like, your heart and soul is sort of the price of admission. Like, that's how I've, <laughs> that's how I've really have yeah. wrestled with it. Like, yeah. oh, right, it sucks that I don't cry very easily. Right. Like, that, that damaged my heart. Yeah. All that power and privilege, I don't know if it's worth that I struggle to cry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, you yeah. know, so we could, yeah, okay, you went there, but do you understand what, what you're really choosing in a way or what you you have to give up to be there? Yeah, and we schools have come a really long way. Part of it is what we've learned about the connection of mind and body and that our emotions are a critical component, maybe the critical component of learning, so that a, a person in stress cannot learn. We have to deal with the stress. We have to have mindfulness in schools. Or we're going to be losing kids not because they're trying to be disobedient, not because they're trying to not pay attention, but because they are physiologically not ready. Their body is connected to their mind. Luckily, we have a lot of people paying really good attention to that. And then the other one, just like you said, is this idea of calling in instead of calling out not condemning, I mean, certainly kids, but really anybody for making a mistake if you know they're trying to come towards you. Just today, we had a group of sixth graders go to this climate change protest, and not all of them wanted to go. I watched the teachers guide this really lovely conversation where everyone's voice mattered and where they, the kids, even they're, they're only in sixth grade, they were able to, I think, to listen to each other pretty carefully about this like super important issue. We are in San Francisco, so most young people here are probably in support of legislation to like address climate change, but not all of them. Connecting academics, politics to our emotional well-being, I think that is good education now. Yeah, and I'm even struck by and being able to listen. Like I'm going to be careful of like we've lost the ability to listen or it's at its worst that it's been in some ways, I think actually we've just become so much more connected that it looks like it's hmm. the worst because it was easier to listen because we weren't bumping into yeah. divergent things. So in some ways, maybe our skills are the best it's ever been. They're just being tested the most. But I love I love just the teaching of that, too, because I think, yeah, talk about health and wholeness, like being able, being able to know, like, I have an emotion, you yeah. have an emotion. They might not align. Yeah. How do I still connect you, with you? I'm going to tell you this beautiful little anecdote. And again, it's like, no way would I have said this in sixth grade because I had never been taught to do it. One of the sixth graders said, you know, when we were walking back from the rally and we had all of our signs and there was this big group of kids walking through the streets, I was looking at the reactions of the adults around us. And what I saw in them, I thought I saw some stress I thought I saw some like disengagement in their faces. I saw some anxiety. And so this kid said, so I wonder if this was an effective way to communicate. Damn. <laughs> you can. So I want him to use arguments and like research online and like talk about whatever CO2 levels, all that. Great. He is at the next level. 
You know what I mean? And that's because he has been taught, look at people. How, what is their body doing? Read that. Why can't we teach that? Well, we can. We believe at this school, I believe it, that's worth it. That's the thing. Committing to the healthy stuff does take time. Like I, and I think this is global. My hopes have been with this show is somewhat being like, I know this is going to be more effort. I know it's going to take more time, but I want to inspire you that it's worth it. Like, look at, look at what that kid can do. <laughs> We're getting thrown out of our yeah, room. Yeah. Demonstrating the stretching of resources that schools do, Mike and I were unable to find another quiet room to finish our conversation. So we're going to have to leave it there for this week's episode. Thank you, Mike Levy, for sharing your wisdom with us. And a shout out to my best bud, Justin Reed, for the music you hear in each episode. If you want to reach out to either of these individuals, there are links in the show notes, so check those out. And of course, thank you to you, the listener, for joining us. If you're digging these conversations, please help us spread the word by telling people directly or through social media about this podcast. Tune in again in two weeks for another great episode.